I've entitled my message this morning as the door of hope through the valley of trouble. The door of hope through the valley of trouble. Have you ever had any troubles in your life? I'm sure none of us can say, no, no, no troubles at all. The scripture tells us in Job 14 and verse 1, man that is born of a woman is of few days and full of trouble. You know, the days that we have here are not few days, no matter if we live to be a hundred years, but full of trouble. Troubles are a part of life. In fact, the English word trouble and its derivatives is used over 200 times in the King James Version of the Bible. So this morning, as I'm speaking, I'm going to speak to you about what God has mentioned in this passage in Hosea, speaking about changing a valley of trouble into a door of hope. If you're going through troubles, you're saying, oh, I'm going through the darkest of darkest of valleys. This morning, God's word to us is, hey, there's a door of hope. Don't think everything is dark. There's going to be a door of hope in the valley of troubles. If we look at Hosea, I'm sure you've read the book of Hosea. God tells the prophet Hosea to go marry Homer, a prostitute, symbolic of what the children of Israel were doing. They had been worshipping other pagan gods. They had prostituted themselves in that sense, leaving the one true God, worshipping other gods of Baal. And God told the prophet Hosea to give the people this visible demonstration so that the people would somehow be sort of woken up into what they were doing. And before these verses, God speaks to them about judgment. Hey, this is what you have done. This is what you have done. This is what you have done. And this is what I'm going to do to you. But verse 15 starts off with a therefore. You have done all this, okay? The natural inclination today. For example, if a marriage doesn't work out, if a person in a relationship has an affair, what does the person say? They say, oh, I'm going to divorce you. I'm going to walk out of the relationship. But that's not what God says over here. Hey, you have done all that. But therefore, verse 15 says, therefore, I will allure you. I will draw you to myself so that this valley of accord, this valley of trouble, accord basically means trouble, by the way. So this valley of trouble, what you have been troubling me with and what you are going through with troubles because of what you have been doing to me, this is going to be changed into a doorway of hope. Now when we go through troubles in life, oftentimes we have these phrases, isn't it? Oh, that I had the wings of a bird, I would fly away. Have you ever said that? Or maybe thought it to yourself, so many troubles in this world, somehow I would just want to leave this world and go away. But that's not the response, if you notice, that God is telling these people. In fact, the Lord is saying, I'm taking you through these troubles so that you will see a doorway of hope. So this morning, if you're going through different troubles in life, let this be a message of hope to us. Not to say I want to be free from troubles, but through these troubles, through this valley, is going to be a doorway of hope. Now looking into the history of this valley, there are three times this valley is mentioned in scripture. The first one you find in Joshua chapter 7 and verse 26 where it reads, And they raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day. Over whom? Over Akan. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore the name of that place was called the valley of Akar unto this day. Remember what happens in Joshua chapter 6 and 7. Battle of Jericho, God had very specifically told them you should not take of the spoils. Akan decides to take of the spoils. As a result, they lose the battle of Ai, which is the next battle. Then Akan is found out. And this is where this first phrase comes in. They named that place 
as a valley of Akal, valley of trouble, because that is where trouble started off, if you were to say. And it is interesting, the word Akan, Akor, they all come from the root word, which means trouble. If Akan was the source of trouble, Valley of Akal, that is how it was named, because this is what had happened over there. The second time this phrase, Valley of Akal, is mentioned is in Isaiah chapter 65 and verse 10. Isaiah chapter 65 and verse 10. It says, And Sharon shall be a fold of flocks, and the valley of Accord a place for the herds to lie down in, for my people that have sought me. Isaiah and Hosea were contemporaries. So what the Lord is saying over here is, this valley of Accord, this valley of trouble, which you remember of Akan, now I'm going to change that into a place of rest where the sheep can lie down and find pasture. Why? Because my people have sought me. And then you have this third reference in Hosea chapter 2 and verse 17. So this expression valley of Accor became proverbial if you were to say for trouble or that which is a source of calamity. So when you're speaking about a valley of trouble becoming a doorway of hope, what the Lord is saying, when you go through calamities, when you go through troubles in life, think for a moment, could that be, could that be a doorway of blessing to you, where your trouble will be turned into joy and despair into hope? Could that be? It could be if you have the right attitude. When troubles come your life, instead of saying, oh, that I had the wings of a bird, I could fly away. Instead, if you're saying, I'm welcoming these troubles because through these troubles, I'm going to see a doorway of hope. Remember, James tells us, isn't it? it counted all joy when? When you go through troubles. You know? He doesn't say counted all joy when you're having a good time. He says counted all joy when you go through troubles. Why? because it is through the troubles that you are developing character. So through the valley of troubles, you are going to have hope. So don't despair when you are going through troubles in life. Adoniram Judson, the great missionary to Burma, was in a Burmese prison and was constantly taunted by his captors. They asked him again and again, how does your future look for you now? Because he's in prison. They're saying, hey, you're going to come preach the gospel to us. Now you're in prison. How does the future look to you now? And Judson with strong faith in God and his word replied, my future is as bright as the promise of God. My future is as bright as the promise of God. So this morning, if you are holding on to the promises of God that the valley of Accor will become a doorway of hope to you, then you are still able to say with confidence that your future is definitely bright. That God can turn things around. God can turn the troubles that you are going through into definitely a blessing for you. Now, when you're looking at the geographical position of the Valley of Accor, this was actually the entrance to the Promised Land of Canaan. This is on the northern boundary of Judah. It runs from ancient Jericho into the hills and forms a passage from the Jordan Valley to the upper region. And this is the normal entrance. You go through this valley to come into Canaan, the promised land. And this was definitely in a, a place that God has de in a, designed in a way to say, yes, this is Canaan, this is the promised land, but how are you going to enter that? It is through the valley of Akkad. That was the first test that God gave to them. Akan, unfortunately, messed up. And as a result, that place was constantly referred to later on. Hey, there was trouble, but don't worry. It's going to be a doorway of hope into the promised land. 
So let's look at the context. You find this in the warning of the accursed thing in Joshua chapter 6 and verse 18. It says, you in any wise keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest you make yourselves accursed. When you take the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. What do you mean by an accursed thing? God said the spoils belong to me. If you are going to take that which belongs to God for yourself, then you are taking the curse upon yourself. That's why it is called as the accursed thing. God said, yes, these are the spoils, but none of these spoils you are going to take. Now, if you notice, when it came later on, after Akan had done that problem, they lost the battle of Ai, when God had said, don't do it, okay, then you find the next time when God tells them to go and fight the battle, God said, hey, you can do it, okay. If only he had waited, if only he had waited, then things would have been different. Oftentimes we hold on to that which belongs to God and says, this is mine. And what did Jesus says? If you hold on to your life, you will lose it. But if you're willing to give it up, that which belongs to God, your life and mine doesn't belong to us, isn't it? We have been created by God, recreated by Him, bought with a price, so doubly this life doesn't belong to us. And as a result, if in case we say, this is my life, my life, my life, that's what the world is saying, God says, hey, no, that's not your life. The sooner we understand this principle, this truth, we will be able to come out of the valley. But if we say, this is my life, then you're going to take that which belongs to God for yourself and then you pay the price for it. The wickedness of Akan is seen in Joshua chapter 7 and verse 1 where it, read, where it reads, But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing for Akan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. The anger of the Lord was kindled. He did the wrong. As a result, you have the wrath of the Almighty God. The anger of the Lord. Now you may say, big thing, you know. He just took a little piece, hid it in his ground. Why was God so upset about it? Why was God so upset about it? The upsetting part is when God says don't do it and you do it, defying God, that is what is upsetting. Oftentimes when you look back on the first sin, you may say, God said don't eat of this fruit. It was just a little bite, isn't it? Couldn't God have just you know, said, okay, no problem. It was just a little bite, it's okay. No. When God says something and you go against that, it is not just doing that particular sin, but recognizing that God, you don't have any authority over me. I do what I want to do. This is my life. That is what rebellion is all about. That is why the wrath of God comes in. But the beauty of it is always, just as much as when Adam and Eve sinned, the grace of God came in. Just as much as when Akan sinned, the grace of God came upon the children of Israel. Just as much as God tells through this prophetic word, visual word, through the prophet Hosea, this valley of accord will become a doorway of hope. That is the grace of God that is still available to each one of us. But how does the Lord open the door? It's a very interesting <laughs> passage for us as we study it, how God opens this doorway of grace for us. Each one of us, looking back into our lives, before we came to know the Lord, we did our own thing. But it was God's grace that drew us to himself, isn't it? You can stop for a moment and just look back into your life and realize if it not for the grace of God, where would you be? There are so many people, maybe who grew up along with you, or maybe who made commitments along with you, but some have dropped out of the way, some have gone away.
totally away from the faith but God's grace is still there with you if it was not for the grace of God where would we be so this morning as we sit together to worship God don't think it's about me you don't think it's because of us don't think you know I have done this so I have somehow kept myself clear no it is the grace of God that leads us to himself it is the grace of God that takes us through the troubles of life so that through the troubles of life his grace becomes more and more evident in our lives and then we come to the realization Lord all that I need is only you take the whole world Lord but give me Jesus if you give me Jesus that's grace that is more than sufficient to go through all the troubles in this world and that is what God wants to do in our lives <coughs> so how does the Lord open the door first of all <coughs> the marvel of God's grace the marvel of God's grace God's thoughts are not like our thoughts isn't it remember verse 15 says therefore I will allure you that's the grace of God I will woo you to myself I will draw you to myself that is what God is saying that is the grace of God we cannot really understand how God does this look at the verses previously where it says for their mother is a shameless prostitute she became pregnant in a shameful way she said I will run after my lovers and sell myself to them for food and drink for clothing of wool and linen and for olive oil this is what God says the children of Israel did okay and when they did this okay what did the Lord do where did the Lord do he says he brought them to a place of hedges okay he brought them to a place of hedges chapter 2 and verse 6 he says therefore I will block your path with thorn bushes I will wall you in so that you cannot find your way so that you cannot find your way this is what God did he says, you want to run after other gods fine you know now I'll put you in a tight spot I'll put you in a corner I'll put you flat on your bed you thought you had life you thought you had health now you're flat on your back okay as they often say isn't it when you're lying flat on the back the only way to look is to up you know as long as you're standing around you think I can stand but you're flat on your back on the bed you say God I can't do I can look only up to you that's what the Lord did to these people he said okay I put this you did all this to me okay put a wall around you I put hedges around you so that you cannot run out and then so that instead of running after these others you would run back to me that is why I did that hedges with thorns hedges with thorns so that somewhere along the line we will have a sting of remorse we would have pangs of penitence you know these things will sort of poke us as it were so that we will find remorse and turn back to God the scripture tells us when she runs after her lover she won't be able to catch up with them she will she will search for them but will not find them then she will say I will go back to my husband as at first for then I was better off than now isn't this the chastening hand of God when things are going fine he said I don't need God I can handle life without God but God put these briars these thorns these pokings as it were hoping that this would somehow prod us to recognize God without you I am nothing hoping against hope sometimes as well if that doesn't work out then that's where the power of grace comes in where he says I will allure you this is what God is doing okay first he put the hedges he put those spokes you know maybe he put you flat on the bed maybe you lost a job maybe you lost your loved one maybe you lost something that you depended upon it's like he pulled the rug out of you know, from under you and then you're sitting and blaming God for it God why did you do this God says hey look you stop for a moment these are things that I am doing so that you recognize 
apart from me you can do nothing you thought you could stand on your own two feet i pull the rug from under you let's see how you're going to stand so that you will turn back to me and then he says i will allure you Look at what Charles Spurgeon writes about this phrase, I will allure you. He says, this is a singular kind of power. I will allure you. Not I will drive you, not I will draw you, not I will drag you, not I will force you, but I will allure you. This is the allurement of God's love to us. Oftentimes, Satan entices us, isn't it? With the things of this world, he allures us with what the world is offering and says, hey, this is what life is all about. But God, what does he do? He doesn't entice us to do wrong. He allures us with his love to say, hey, choose for yourself. What is really better? You are being enticed by this world to run after the things of this world. This is what it's all going to lead up to. But I'm alluring you with my love. Won't you turn to me? This is the precious word over here. I will allure you. And before that, remember, verse 14, the first word is, therefore, therefore. Verse 13 says, she went after her lovers and forget, forgot me, says the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will allure you. This morning, where are you in your relationship with God? Have you forgotten God? Yes, maybe once upon a time you did make a commitment. But how is your relationship with God this morning? Have you forgotten God? Run after the gods of this world? God is coming to us this morning and says, Okay, that's what you're doing. But this is what I'm going to do. I am going to allure you. The therefore in the Bible is very, very important, isn't it? The buts in the Bible, the therefores in the Bible. You know, if you have time, sit and do a study, do a take a concordance. You know, it's an interesting study. The therefore. What is a therefore? It's a conclusion. You did this, but the concluding part of it is, I'm going, not going to throw you off. I'm not going to abandon you, but I'm going to allure you. And how did the Holy God allure himself to us? How did he show his love to us? The scripture tells us so very clearly, isn't it? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that an allurement? God didn't say, hey, first you change yourself. First you give up all your bad habits, all your sinful things. Then I will do something for you. No, no. He says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the alluring, that's the love of God, the unconditional love of God. Look at what it says, the way that God does it. First of all, he reveals with grace and power to the heart, the son of his love, Jesus, the Christ of God. God reveals to us the fact of the love of God. How often people have come to know Christ just by understanding this love. Living in the world where people have a lot of conditional love. You have done this for me so I am obligated to do this for you. Or I am going to love you because there is a condition behind it. I want you to love me back in return. So I am willing to get into this relationship. But the unconditional love of God, you know, the unconditional love of God. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Would you be willing to give your life up for somebody? You know, maybe if you are a close friend, you may say, yes, I'm willing to give my life up. But think for a moment. Jesus was willing to give his very life, even though you didn't deserve it. You think he deserves it, so I'm willing to give my life. You won't be willing to give your life for someone who doesn't deserve it. But that's what the love of God is. Giving up his very life for us, even though we did not deserve it one bit. So that is how he allures us. He says, hey, look at yourself. Do you think there was anything good in you? As long as you say, yes, there was something good in us, fine, the Lord says, wait, you know, 
till you come to the realization there is nothing good. And then when we recognize there is nothing in me, Lord, that is worth loving. But you still love me. You still died for me. That becomes a revelation. That becomes a realization that God is drawing you to himself. Ask yourself, when you're thinking about God's love for you, do you have that sense of he has drawn you to himself? Or do you think, I made a commitment, I said yes to Christ, as if you did God a big favor. No, it is God who took the first step. We didn't deserve it one bit, but he died for us. Let that sink into us so that we don't play with sin, but says, Lord, if you loved me so much, I don't want to do anything that the world is asking me to do. <clears throat> the scripture tells us very clearly, John chapter 6 and verse 41, no one can come to me unless the Father has sent him to me. That is the drawing of the love of God to of us to himself. Secondly, he draws us to himself by sending his word with power into our hearts. With power into our hearts. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 5, Paul writing about the Thessalonian church, he says that the gospel came to the Thessalonians not in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. And as a result of this, the scripture says, they turn to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. This is like God reveals his power to us. When we say, God, nothing can be done. What do we do? God, we turn to you. And when God does it for us, God reveals his power to us. Times when you say, I lost a job, no job at all, you know, God reveals his job. Or when you are lying in sick in bed, God raises you up, the power of God is seen. Something that God does supernaturally for you, which only God can do, you can never do it for yourself, that becomes your eye-opener to draw you to himself. Now, you don't have to wait for that, but that's the alluring of God. A person who has moved away from God, God shows him to him or her his power. And when he does that, what is the next step? What did the Thessalonians do? They gave up their idols. It is like, Lord, now no more idols for me. It is only you or you alone because you are the all-powerful one. How many individuals? From other faiths when they come to know Christ oftentimes it is when they see the power of God at work we prayed to this God we prayed to that God we went here we went there nothing happened but we prayed to the living God and God answered it is the power of God that reveals who he is to an individual and when the power is revealed what happens is they give up their idols and turn to him thirdly he allows us by making his truth to drop into us with a measure of sweetness. It is like the morning dew that comes in. Truth packets, if you were to say, that dro God drops into our minds. Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 2 says, My doctrine shall drop like the rain. My speech shall distill as the dew. God, if it is for some people, it is power is really revealed. For some other people, it could be the Eureka moment to say, hey, this is it. This is the truth that I was looking for. This is the truth that I was seeking for all my life. And like the dew that comes in, not much, just that little drop. You know. Have you been through situations when you're going through troubles? Maybe you read, heard a message, you came to church, you didn't remember anything else about the message, but one word or one truth, one basic message, that sunk into your head. And as a result, you say, Lord, you spoke to me. You revealed yourself to me. I'm no longer going to do what I was going to do before, but now from my troubles, I'm going to depend on you. That's the truth 
that God drops into our minds. <coughs> but Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 10 tells us, they perished because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. Yes, there is a truth, but there is also a love for the truth that must be there in our hearts, isn't it? If there is no love for the truth, truth packets may come, but there's nothing at all. It's like you come to church this morning. Why did you come to church this morning? You know, oh, I came for a good fellowship, you know. I came for a good singing. I came because I had to come to church because it's a Sunday. But did you come to listen to God? Did you come to listen to God's truth package which is going to be dropped into your mind this morning? If you do not come with a love for that, even though God's truth will be preached to you, would you still receive it? Not at all. That's what Paul writes to the Thessalonian church. Because they did not have the love for the truth that they might be saved, they did not receive it. So yes, there must be the openness to receive that truth, but there also must be a heart to receive that truth. Fourthly, God allures us by applying a promise, an invitation, or a sweet encouragement. A promise, an invitation, or a sweet encouragement. Draw me close to you. Draw me and we will run after you. Enlarge me, the scripture tells us in Genesis chapter 9 and verse 27. God shall enlarge Japheth. The word enlarge means literally to open or to entice or to allure. This is what God says. He will open himself, his beauty, his holiness, his love to us. And as a result, as he opens his word, as he opens our mind, as he opens our heart, it is enlarged. We are allured, enlarged by what God reveals to us. That's the power of his grace in our lives. Thirdly, what's the work of grace? What's the work of grace? He says, I will allure you and do what? It's interesting. It says, I will bring her into wilderness. You may say, hey, is that a good alluring? No. He says, yes, I will allure you, but I will allure you into the wilderness. Think for a moment, when they went through the valley of Akkar, they came to the promised land, yes, but the promised land had a lot of giants in it, isn't it? You know? Giants had not been removed. You know? They were still there, and God told them to go and conquer that land. God did not make it all smooth for them and says, okay, now that you have come out of the wilderness, everything is rosy for you, just walk through. No, no. God says, yes, I brought you through this valley, but the giants are still there. I want you to go and fight. God takes us through the valley into a place of wilderness, into a place of wilderness. <coughs> now, the wilderness brings us into a spot where there is solitude, where there is silence, where we would be separated from everyone else but ourselves, right? That's the first understanding of why God brings us into a wilderness, into a dry place. Why does God take us through troubles? So that when we are in that tight spot, when we are in that dry spot, when we have no one around us, you know, everybody seems to have abandoned us. When we are all alone, that's the time God is able to speak to us. How often, isn't it? When we have so many voices in our minds, God says, come ye apart. You know, if you don't come apart, you will become pieces, isn't it? You know? God says, take a break. That's what retreat is all about. Take a break so that you can be quiet in his presence. That's what he allures us. He draws us to himself and says, come by yourself. I'm going to take you to a place where you could be quiet with me. It's a sign then of a place of quietness with God. Has God taken you through your troubles to this place where you had nobody else 
you are all alone and in that spot God met up with you that's God's intention God has not abandoned you sometimes when nobody is around to support us we say where are you God God is very much there he said I put you in this spot so that you and I can be alone together it's just you and I and through that relationship it is going to grow secondly wilderness is also a place of trial and affliction trial and affliction if you notice when the children of Israel went through the wilderness they had a lot of troubles isn't it a lot of troubles you know in terms of they wanted food no food they wanted water no water but in the midst of that trial and afflictions what did God do God brought them miraculously the food and the water so yes wilderness is going to be a place of trying it's going to be a place of suffering it's going to be a place of affliction but you would be able to see the hand of God in those situations so that through that you would be able to come forth to a point of hope thirdly wilderness is also a place of temptation Jesus was taken into the wilderness and he was tempted of the devil the Israelites went through the wilderness also a period of temptation they had problems they began to question God they tested God's patience God tested them and they tested God God tried their faith and their obedience but it is through these tests that you come out victorious Jesus how did he come out from those temptations in the wilderness victorious getting back to the word of God isn't it? Satan also tried this is what is written but God says hey guy this is what is written when you are spending time alone with God God takes you through that wilderness for that purpose God takes you through temptation through that purpose so that you can get back to the word and you are nourished with the word and it is the word that strengthens you against the onslaughts of evil one when we have things are fine with us oftentimes people don't have time for God they don't have time for reading the word but when they are sick when they are down when they don't have any other hope and a clue what to do they will say hey give me the Bible let me read the Psalms of encouragement maybe they want to turn to God why because God is saying hey this is the point don't forget after things are okay don't go back to square one God has brought you through this valley through this wilderness because he has allured you he has brought you for this purpose <coughs> fourthly wilderness is a place in which there is neither house nor home in other words it's not a permanent place it's not a permanent place the scripture tells us they only pitch their tents in the wilderness God helps us to recognize hey, this world is not a permanent place how often you know when things are all well with us we are planning for our futures isn't it this is what I will do I will build bigger barns I will build bigger houses I'll get bigger cars you know God says hey this world is not your own one day you're all going to lose all this you know so God takes you through those wilderness to help you see the big picture to help you see the big picture that what you really need is not the luxuries of life what you really need is not what you call the necessities of life what you really need is the Lord who provides you the basic needs of your life seek first his kingdom and his righteousness then all these things will be added to you fourthly we have the comfort of grace I will allure you I will bring you to the wilderness and in the wilderness what does the Bible says I will speak comfortably to her isn't this such a beautiful thought that God himself speaks to us comfortably I'm sure when we have gone through troubles when we have heard the voice of God if you have ever heard that that is enough for you to take you through any storms of life 
That's what God takes you through for. He takes you through those situations, seemingly a wilderness, and says, I am going to speak comfort to this person. And if we are only able to still ourselves, quiet ourselves, one-on-one -on -one with God, and hear His voice speaking to us, that is a word of comfort. First of all, the first promise is that He will speak comfortably unto her. God speaks to our heart. God speaks to our heart. When we have nobody left, it is only you and the Lord, God speaks to our hearts. When we are in the most painful situation in the wilderness, the most profitable lesson that we can learn is that God is still there. You are able to hear his still small voice speaking to you and he still brings water to you out of the rock. Provides you your manna every day and assures you that he will never leave you nor forsake you. Isn't that a door of hope? Look forward for that. Instead of saying, God, I want to leave all these troubles and run off, let's learn to say, Lord, I want to hear your voice speaking to me. The words of comfort that will take me through all the situations in life. Recognizing that it is only he that can give us this comfort. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 1. We have almost the same similar words where he says, Comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord. Speak comfortably to Jerusalem. And it goes on and gives us three things of the words of comfort. It says, tell her that her warfare is accomplished. Tell her that her iniquity is pardoned. Tell her that she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Think of those three things. When we are going through troubles, God's voice comes to us and says, Hey, it is over now. It is over. Yes, I took you through all those troubles, but now the warfare is over. Now your sins have been pardoned. Now that which you lost, I'm going to pay back double. Yes, you went through troubles. The best is yet to come. You have not lost out because I'm going to give you double of all that you have lost. Now, if you notice, in the wilderness, the Lord did not speak, in, in, in Egypt, the Lord did not speak much to them. Yes, they were going through so much of trouble. They cried out to God, cried out to God, cried out to God. But God did not really speak to them, isn't it? But when he took them through the wilderness, as Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 4 tells us, the Lord spoke to you face to face from the heart of the fire on the mountain and sometimes in the cloudy pillar. Think for a moment. They were in Egypt, a lot of troubles, didn't hear the voice of God. Took them into the wilderness and there they heard the voice of God. Also in Ezekiel it says, and I will bring you into the wilderness and there will I plead with you face to face like as I pleaded with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so will I plead with you, says the Lord. God's voice comes to us in the midst of those troubles in the wilderness after he has allured us. That's why he has allured us, so that we can hear his voice. Have you quietened yourself to hear his voice? Or is your mind still so busy with why questions? Still so busy with all these other things of the world that is still circling around your head. God says, stop all that. Quieten yourself. Listen to my voice. That's the promise. Secondly, <clears throat> the second blessing is, I will give her her vineyards from thence. I will give her her vineyards from thence. In other words, he says, you know, you thought life is all over. You know, vineyards is a symbol, if you were to say, of the fruit bearing. You thought it's all dried up? He says, no, I brought you into this wilderness. Hear my voice. It is not over. I still am going to give you those vineyards. You will still find fruit in you. If in case you're sitting here this morning, going through troubles and saying, 
it is all over. God says, no, it's not all over. There's still fruit that you can bear in your life for which I'm pruning you for. This is part of the pruning process so that you can bear much more fruit. The best is yet to come. I will give you the vineyards. The third blessing <laughs> is that in the valley of Accor, there will be this door of hope. That's the third blessing. In the valley of Accor, there will be this door of hope. When it's in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, after the church age, the scripture tells us in our John writing says, And then I looked up, and there was a door opened in heaven. There was a door opened in heaven. You may go through life thinking, life is a mess. But God says, no, a door is opened. Door is opened. If only you would see this. Let's move now to this final section of the door of hope. This phrase in Hebrew, this phrase in Hebrew pictures, the word hope, by the way, in Hebrew is tikva, which in its root meaning pictures a cord attached to a thing longed for. A cord that is attached to a thing that is longed for. That's what this word hope is all about. You know? God saying, hey, here's a cord. That is a type. It is like the red cord that Rehab put out. That was the hope. This is a similar cord. Here's this cord. Pull this. It may seem just a little cord, but this, through this, is going to be the door of hope that you have longed for. And Jesus himself, when he calls himself the door, it is also very, very much symbolic, where he says, Jesus indeed is the door of hope. When we go through the troubles of life, when we say everything is over, God says, no, I am there. I am the door of hope. I am the door of hope for this life as well as for the life to come as well. <coughs> now, if you remember the last time, last Sunday rather, when I was here, we spoke about, have you lost your joy? When they were sitting in Babylon saying, how can we sing these songs in a strange land? God says, hey, you're going through troubles, I will give you a new song. I will give you this door of hope now that you can sing back again. If you lost your voice for singing the message of God because, oh, I'm down in the dumps. No, lift up your voice in the door of hope that God gives to you. Jesus told his disciples, I will see you again and your heart shall rejoice and no man takes your joy from you. That is, I'm going to see you again. I'm going to see you again. You know? When our loved ones go to be with the Lord, it's not a goodbye. It is actually, I will see you again. That is the door of hope that God gives to us when he assures us that I will come back again. So, a couple of thoughts for this door of hope. First of all, this hope involves the supply of vineyards. This hope involves the supply of vineyards. Vineyards were very important as a part of the produce of the land of Canaan. These vineyards also speak about blessings that God gives to us and also places of rest that God gives to us. Sitting under a fig tree, sitting under a vineyard was also symbolic of finding rest. So what God is saying here is, I will give you those periods of rest. You're going through troubles, but now I'm going to lead you into periods of rest. If you notice, you know, in Psalm 23, a similar thought is mentioned, isn't it? He is the one who leads us, whether it is through tough situations or whether it is through pleasant green valleys. Think of the typology that is wrapped up in this word grapes. The New Angers Bible Dictionary says, wine is figurative of the blood of Christ, the blessings of the gospel, and of the exhilarating effect of the Holy Spirit's fullness. When there was no wine, when there was no vineyards, when this was removed, there was no joy. But but the Lord is saying, I'm going to restore that joy back to you. When you're living in sin, no joy. But when you come back to God, 
God is alluring you to himself and saying, don't live in your troubles and say it's all over. I'm drawing you to myself. The best is yet to come. I'm going to restore to you the vineyards. Secondly, think about the timing that is wrapped up in this. It says, from here, you're going through the wilderness, I brought you into this wilderness, and from this point onwards, it's going to be a period of blessing. It could be actually in the wilderness, I'm going to be with you, as well as in the promised land, I'm going to be with you. It's going to be a time of restoration. Secondly, this also involves the song of victory. Song of victory. Verse 15 says, And I will give her her vineyards from thence, and the valley of Accord for a door of hope, and she shall sing there as in the days of her youth, and as in the day when she came out of the land of Egypt. Two things that are mentioned over there. She will sing again. Psalm 137 says, how can we sing these songs in a strange land? But God says in Hosea uh, chapter 2 and verse 15, you will sing again, you will sing again. That is the door of hope. There will be a song on your lips. <clears throat> and the picture that is here, used here, shall sing, is literally, she shall make answer. In other words, you know, they will talk with each other, they will sing together, it will be a joyous gathering. In other words, when you come to church, instead of saying, oh, this is what I'm going through, you know, no, it's going to be a rejoicing together. Yes, this is what God has taken me through, you're answering together. There's a joyous meeting together. That's why the scripture says, don't forsake the meeting of yourselves because you're going to encourage one another through the song that God has put into your heart because the valley of Accord became a door of hope to you. This is a song of the bygone days where it says, as in the days of her youth, as in the days of her youth. Remember when they came out of uh, Egypt, Exodus chapter 15, verses 1 onwards, it says, Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, he has become my salvation, he is my God. I will prepare him an habitation, my father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war, the Lord is his name. This is the song that they sang when they came out of Egypt. And the Lord says, hey, that's the song you sang then, isn't it? You, know, you went through troubles now, I'm going to help you to sing that song back again. Think for a moment, when you came first to know the Lord, wasn't there a joy in your heart when you sang those songs? Songs of worship, songs that meant so much to you because of what Jesus has done for you. Now, you've gone through troubles. You have questions about God. God says, no, I'm alluring you. I'm drawing you to myself so that you can spend time with me. You can hear my voice in clarity once again. And you will sing those songs of the bygone days. You'll be able to sing those songs of victory. But this is also a song of the future. If you were to say a song of the by and by. Because the scripture tells us in Revelation chapter 15, verses 2 to 4. And I saw as it were a sea of glass mingled with fire. And uh, them that had gotten the victory over the beast, and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. And they sang the song of Moses, the servant of God. And the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy works, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou art holy, for all nations shall come and worship before thee. For thy judgments are made manifest. God says, hey, there's a song still to come. The song of Moses which they sang when they came out of Egypt, he said, there's still going to be a song that you're going to sing back again when you're going to be in the Lord's presence. Don't forget singing because you have an eternity to sing. But here, right here on earth, 
when you're going through those troubles, tune up your voices to recognize, hey, God has put a new song in my lips. Thirdly, it's going to be a shifting of your viewpoint. It's going to be a shifting of your viewpoint. When God gets you through this door of hope, not only is it going to be restoration, not only is it going to be a singing a new song back again, but it's also going to be a change of viewpoint. God takes you through these situations to change your mindset. You know, change your mindset. Verse 16 says, And it shall be at that day, says the Lord, that thou shalt call me Ishi, and shall call me no more Bali. For I will take away the names of Balim out of her mouth, and they shall no more be remembered by their name. You know, Ishi and Bali. What do these two words mean? Ishi means husband or mate or spouse and Bali means master. Now these two were words were used for Baal. Okay? But they are saying, hey, this is what you have been doing so far. But now you are no longer going to call me Baal. And they are saying, I'm a master. But now the relationship is going to change. The relationship is, I'm going to be your husband. You know, it's going to be a new marriage altogether. And that's what's going to happen in the great wedding supper of the Lamb in eternity, isn't it? God gives us that little glimpse to say, hey, right here on earth, you have so far having sin as your master, idols as your master. He says, now there's going to be a change of viewpoint. You're going to treat me not as a boss. You're going to treat me not as a hard taskmaster, but you're going to change your relationship. You're going to be married to me, understanding that I love you, and I'm going to be your husband. And that's the love relationship that you and I are going to share. When we understand this relationship with God, we don't play with sin, wondering, hey, God is going to punish me. No. We don't do, I'm not going to sin because I have to do it because it's a sense of duty. No, you want to please the one who loves you so much. That's the new change of relationship. When God takes us through these hard times, when God takes you through these troubles, when God takes you through the valley of accord, the whole purpose is that there will be this doorway of hope. That it's going to be no one, only God first in your life. The question that we must ask ourselves this morning is, has that happened? Finally, the problem of rebellion will be removed. Verse 70 says, For I will take away the names of Balaam out of her mouth, and they shall no more be remembered by that name. God will turn things around. That, that will be your past. That will be your past. There's going to be a future, but the past is going to be forgotten. Yes, you have gone through those valleys, but the valleys will be forgotten. It's going to be a doorway of hope. Let me close this morning with two songs. Uh, I'm not going to sing it, but I'm going to read the stanzas to you. The first one is a song by the McKennies, which says like this, I've just come into a valley, one like I've never been before. I keep searching for a way out. It seems like padlocks are on the doors. Oh, there must be another sunrise, another sunset that I'll see. God will make this trial a blessing. That's the love he has for me. Now I'm standing on the mountain, looking back and I can see, when I was in that lowest valley, his strong hand was leading me. Oh, it's good to see the sunshine and a taste sweet victory. God has made this trial a blessing Oh, the grace he gives to me. God will make this trial a blessing, though it sends me to my knees, though my tears flow like a river, yet in him there's sweet relief. There's no need to get discouraged, there's no need to talk defeat. God will make this trial a blessing and the whole world will see. This is the hope of the Valley of Accord. The second song is entitled, Even in the Valley. This is what it says. High upon this mountain, the sun is shining bright. My heart is filled with gladness here above 
the cares of life. But I've just come through the valley of trouble, fear and pain. It was there I came to know my God enough to stand and say, the road of life has led you to a valley of defeat. You wonder if the Father has heard your desperate plea. But there is hope in the rugged place where tears of sorrow dwell. Can't you hear him gently whispering, I am here and all is well. Even in the valley, God is good. Even in the valley, he is faithful and true. He carries his children through like he said he would. Even in the valley, God is good. Would you be able to have this assurance this morning? Whatever troubles you are going through, be assured, even in the valley, God is good. Allow him to lead you through the wilderness, lead you into a place in which you can have this genuine hope in him. Let's bow our heads in prayer together.